This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams from unusually rainy Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi from Massachusetts. Uh, I write uh, the legal blog watch for Law.com and also my own blogs, uh, Law Sites and Media Law. And I write a blog called May It Please the Court. Well, today the term made in China has come under a lot of scrutiny as of late. The massive toy recall in China created fear in households across North America, Europe, Australia, and elsewhere. China produces some 80% of the world's toys and is the second largest trading partner of the U.S. after Canada. Uh, China's been hit by a series of of health and safety issues in the past six months involving tainted pet food, uh, toothpaste laced with an ingredient in antifreeze, faulty tires, tainted seafood, and other products. The latest worldwide toy recall has created huge uh, image problems for Chinese manufactured goods. So today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we will discuss the toy recall, the effect of the recall on the global economy, and the fate of global outsourcing. Our first guest is Professor Peter Dean, a professor at the School of Design at Hong Kong Polytechnic University, where he teaches product design and toy design. Peter Dean's expertise blurs the lines between industrial design, mechanical engineering, and manufacturing. He has worked as an industrial designer, product design engineer, manufacturing engineer, inventor, and educator in Edinburgh, Glasgow, Paris, and San Francisco, and most recently in Hong Kong. For the past seven years, he's been assistant professor for product design in the School of Design. With a strong interest in juvenile products, Mr. Dean has invented, designed, and engineered and seen through production hundreds of toys with major manufacturers in the U.S. and Hong Kong. Most recently, Mr. Dean has been working with top designers in Europe and America, designing and producing furniture for nightclubs, hotels, and resorts in Asia. Welcome to the program, Professor Dean. Thank you. And our next guest today is uh, Arthur Krober. Arthur is coming from Beijing, where he is managing director and head of research at Dragonomics, uh, where he's been since 2002. He first began working in Asia in 1987 as a journalist specializing in economic affairs, and he's reported from China, India, and several other Asian countries. From 1992 to 2002, he was a correspondent for the uh, Economist Intelligence Unit covering China and South Asia, and was the author of numerous research reports on China and India. Uh, Mr. Krober is a regular contributor to the opinion page of the Financial Times and a consultant to Oxford Analytica. His articles have also appeared in The Economist, The Far Eastern Economic Review, Wired, and elsewhere. Welcome to the show, Arthur Krober. Glad to be here. I wonder if we could just start. We're, we're uh, the the news here in the United States, of course, is is awash with uh, the congressional hearings going on this week into toy safety. Uh, I saw that the head of the U.S. toy industry was was in Hong Kong this week speaking there. Uh, what what is the uh, the perspective? What's what's being talked about uh, from where you are? Uh, about this issue? Is it getting the kind of attention it's getting here? Let's start with Peter Dean. Um, I'm, I mean, it's difficult to get, to get a perspective from both sides of the ocean. I would say that, um, I mean, people are very concerned here because it, it is a huge component of Hong Kong industry. Um, you know, and, and the Pro River Delta really is, uh, is, 
is the uh, one of the largest areas um, for manufacturing in China. So I think that people are getting very concerned that um, you know there might be new measures in place, that there there will be new regulations and things like that. But um, I don't think there is a you know just panic or, or you know people are are um, overwhelmed by uh, by the amount of tension that they're getting. You know, Arthur Krober in Beijing, what's your sense of this? Well, I think the Chinese government is very concerned about this for two reasons. Uh, one is they, they clearly do understand the damage to brand China, if you will, that uh, all of these product recalls and safety problems cause. And they've actually put in place a uh, kind of a SWAT team of government officials to uh, more stringently enforce safety regulations and, and really put the fear of God into some of the um, uh, suppliers, particularly in the key areas of uh, toys and, um, and uh, drugs and pharmaceuticals and, and food. And the other piece of this, though, is it's not just they're concerned about the international reputation of Chinese goods uh, globally. Uh, they have a concern about domestic uh, fears. Chinese consumers are very, very concerned about uh, not being able to trust the quality of the goods that they buy in stores. And there have been a couple of very high-profile problems just in the last couple of years, uh, particularly with the uh, fake drugs, uh, which in some cases have caused uh, deaths of people who used them. So the government really thinks that there's a there's both an international reputation problem and a political problem at home that they need to take quite seriously. And if you talk to, to individual Chinese consumers, they're probably at least as concerned and maybe even more so than American consumers about the quality of goods that they're buying. Well, Peter, before we get too far into the program, let's see if we can get a little bit of your background and perhaps uh, an answer to the question of how is this happening? I mean, you've seen toys go through production. How, how is it that uh, lead paint is being used and why is it occurring? Um, I mean, the, 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 one of the first things, I mean, I, I, having started my career in the States and working with toy industry, toy companies there, um, the, one of the first things you bring in is a quality um, assurance, you know, director who would look at whatever you're designing and sort of say, hey, listen, you know, this is going to be a problem here, this is going to be a problem there. So very, very early on in the design and development phase of a new product, um, you know, the, the, the team is getting, getting, you know, information from quality people about, you know, issues that could come up um, during testing, et cetera. When the product actually, you know, ends up getting into production, um, you know, it's seriously tested throughout, you know, the, the various phases, uh, you know, all the engineering pilots, the final engineering pilot, and you, you end up taking the product out of the factory and taking it to an independent lab for further certification, um, you know, so that, so that throughout you know, by the time the product actually makes it into production, it has been, you know, thoroughly tested. Once it starts production, obviously, you know, the, the, you have a team of quality controllers which are supposedly, um, you know, under your, under your jurisdiction, which go into factories independently and, you know, pull products off of the assembly line and test them to the standard that you had set um, just before going into production. And then regularly, um, you know, the, 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 the team will pull products off um, pretty much with every shipment 
um, just to check, you know, just to make sure that the, the, the product is meeting the, the, the requirements that were set forth um, and that, you know, the, 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 all of the elements are, are to the right standard. Um, then you have, you know, the, the, the retailers and the distributors who will do random tests as well. Um, you know, they will just go into a, uh, a, a container and pull a few products off and send them off to independent labs for, for, um, for, for veri verification before they put it on the wall and put it on their shelves of their stores. So overall, I think um, from a safety perspective, I mean, it's, it's, it's already the, the systems in place are quite, um, you know, quite complete. I mean, it, it, it's not, a, it's not uh, as some people might, might think it is, um, you know, it's a very, very thorough and very serious matter uh, in, terms of, in terms of child safety. But, but that begs the question then of how this happened. Well, this is very interesting because Mattel prides itself in, in, in several things. One, owning, you know, their own factories and being able to control, you know, the quality of their products. Um, how this happened, I, I'm, you know, I can only guess since I'm not an employee or haven't really, um, you know, been able to discuss, you know, this issue with, with representatives from Mattel here. But um, it shouldn't. It really shouldn't happen. I mean, in a in typical factory in China, um, you would have materials coming in from, from subcontractors, and they would be tested to make sure that, you know, you're buying or you're, you're bringing into your factory what you've ordered. So how this happened, why this happened, I, I, can, only, I can only guess, but it, it seems like somebody wasn't doing their job properly. Well, Arthur, there's, there's uh, at least over here, there, there's finger pointing every which way, uh, including at government regulators, at, at the industry itself, uh, where, where do you think the finger pointing should be going? I mean, is is there uh, is the Chinese does the Chinese government have a role here? Does the U.S. government have a role here? Uh, should, how should this issue be regulated? Uh, well, I think there's I think there's plenty of blame to go around, um, but I think the first point I'd like to make is that it's interesting that we've seen all of the spate of concerns about Chinese exports, but actually the biggest single uh, category of Chinese exports, the top two, in fact, uh, have been completely unaffected by this. And number one is electronics. And number two is, is textiles and garments. People aren't complaining about the T-shirts that they buy at Target or Walmart falling to pieces after one or two wearings. Um, and most of those, or a very high percentage of those, are made in China. People also aren't complaining that... Uh, the laptop that they use that was made in China isn't working, or that their iPod breaks down, or that their cell phone isn't working. Uh, in reality, uh, China produces hundreds of millions of dollars of exports in these categories, and, and they really have been unaffected. And I think if you look at the way that the electronics um, supply chain works, as opposed to the supply chain, particularly for things like toys and, and cheap items that you might buy in Walmart, uh, I think you begin to understand why this is so. If um, Dell or Apple or, or a big uh, consumer electronics company sells a product that doesn't work very well, there's immediate customer feedback through websites, through user groups, and so forth. And that company, the brand holder, 
instantly feels the pain because they're not able to sell the product and they'll take a big loss. And if you look at the way that these companies operate in China, they, they source huge amounts of stuff from China, sometimes from factories that they own, but more usually from factories that they don't own and where they have to rely on contractors and subcontractors to meet quality standards. And these electronics companies get very, they are fanatical about policing every stage of the production process because they really pay a price. Uh, they also, in many cases, um, are in a position where they are able to charge a little bit of a premium for their product. They're not operating necessarily on the thinnest of profit margins. When you look at down at, at things like toys, for example, these are very low-value items. The profit margins for everyone involved are very, very small. And the point is, if there's lead paint in the Thomas the Tank Engine, I, as the consumer, have no way of knowing that until someone tells me. So I don't, there's not this feedback mechanism that you have in, in the electronics, consumer electronics business, whereby the brand holder is instantly alerted to any problems by the market. It requires inspection, and it really requires inspections in a system of inspections uh, of third parties, because the, the participants in the supply chain, the supplier, the brand holder, Walmart, which is, or, or Target, which is the final distributor, or Toys R Us, all of these people are trying relentlessly to reduce the price of these goods um, year after year. And it's the, the suppliers in China um, who get stuck with the hardest job because they're making the smallest portion of the profit of the whole transaction, and they ultimately are the ones that have to come up with a way to, to save the cost. So they tend to, there's an inherent problem, I think, in the system that those people have a real incentive to cut corners, to cut the cost of the item regardless of what shortcuts they need to take, and that's, that's where you need the problem. So for certain kinds of products where the consumers really can't tell whether they're getting something that you know, isn't up to standard or isn't dangerous or not, you certainly need stronger government regulation, and I think the U.S. in the last few years has really fallen down on this. There's been not enough funding of regulatory agencies. The brand holders uh, really need to take responsibility for the products that they're selling because they're the ones whose names go on the product, and they're the ones who are putting them out before the American consumers. So I think it's, it's clearly the case that you know, however good a job Mattel and these other companies thought they were doing, they have to take another step. And then finally, there's no question that the Chinese government needs to step up its regulation. Uh, up until now, for the last 20 years, the focus has been on economic growth, jobs, uh, and, and really these other concerns were, were secondary. They don't have a good regulatory infrastructure, uh, and they need to step up to the plate. But I, I think we have to recognize that the Chinese companies are earning the smallest share of the profits, and the Chinese government is a lot less well-funded overall than the U.S. government. And ultimately, these are being sold to consumers in U.S. stores by mainly companies, U.S. brand-name companies. These are the people with the most power in the relationship, the most profit from it, and they're the people who should take the biggest responsibility. Well, Arthur, it's surprising to hear um, that you think that there's been no problems with uh, with both textiles and electronics in California, where I think we're a little bit more picky about um, lead in, in 
certain products because of Proposition 65, which requires companies to provide warnings to consumers if a product contains lead. Um, this this whole flap over lead in toy and toy paint is not surprising to me because we've had situations where uh, companies that have imported uh, textiles from China have had lead in uh, raincoats. It's used as a brightener for uh, bright yellow raincoats. It's been, there's been lead in rake handles. There's been lead solder in electronic equipment. So this is nothing new uh, in the, I guess, in the, the local fight here against uh, by a, a number of environmental groups against lead in certain things. But it's it hasn't gotten the attention that it uh, it has gotten now because toys haven't been involved. But it, based on what Peter's saying, it seems like if there's supposed to be such a level of testing and quality assurance at practically every level of production and distribution. It seems like the profit is being cut almost at every level, uh, eliminating quality assurance and eliminating testing because otherwise these products wouldn't be getting through. Peter, what's your reaction to that? Like, like, um, like Arthur was saying, I mean, the um, you know the, every year the the, the the retailer and distributor would come back to the you know the brand holder and sort of say, hey, listen, I love your products, but you've got to make them you know twelve ninety nine as opposed to fourteen ninety nine. Um, and then you know that message gets passed along to the manufacturer in China, and sort of said you have to cut your margins, and they're already at single digit now. Um, and it's getting to the point now where you know the, the the manufacturer is looking at you know where can I what can I do? Can I can I can I automate more? Can I build a new factory to to bring in more streamlined production techniques, et cetera, et cetera? And perhaps you know they, they they go out and do build another factory, and they do you know modernize, and they do get new machines and, and new automation techniques and etc. You know the brand holder will then come and, and and visit this factory and sort of say, oh my God, you know look at this beautiful place. Um, I'm obviously paying them too much. Their their margins are too high. You know they're 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 making too much profit, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So you know no matter no matter what the manufacturer in China might be able to do in terms of bringing its costs down, it, it you know. The perception isn't like, wow, thanks a lot for helping us out on, on getting this. It's like, oh my God, you know, you know, it, it's still you're, you're still making too much money. You're you're, you're obviously not struggling enough on this. So um, the manufacturers, I mean, they're, they're they're really really. I mean, if you've ever done business in in, in Hong Kong, it's a fantastic place um, to do business. It's one of the you know the, one of the best um, you know open uh, economies and. Um, you know, everybody is very service oriented here. So, in order to, in order to facilitate, you know, in order to facilitate, um, you know, this exchange, the you know, the, the factories are in in China, um, you know, basically don't know what to do. And I, I think they're trying their best. Um, I'm not sure if they are cutting uh, corners in in the wrong places, um, but you know, they're, they're not. They don't have a lot of um, room to maneuver anymore. Craig, if I could just jump in here. That's a very interesting point that you made about the lead and the other things. I think it's, um, uh, it, it, it partly supports what I was saying before in the sense that uh, when, you, when you think about the policy implications of this, when do you need to have you know, more government intervention, more regulation? It's really in areas where there is not a, an effective customer feedback situation in the market. And the examples that you cited, uh, lead paint in raincoats or lead soldering in, in electronics, 
these are not things that, that will necessarily affect the consumer's experience of these products, and so there's no automatic market mechanism to force the brand holder uh, to, to, to be accountable for these things. And that's, that's where you need more stringent government regulation, and it sounds like in California you have that, uh, which you don't necessarily have in other parts of the U.S. Um, so that's, that's one thing. The, the other point that I make is that, um, I mean, I think you rightly point out that, you know, we got excited about this last set of recalls because it involved toys, it involved children. People got very sort of emotionally excited about that, and it, and it tends to grab the headlines. Um, I think we also have to recognize that one of the reasons that one of the reasons that China is implicated in so many of these recalls is that it is making so much of the world's stuff now, uh, and a very high proportion of the sort of the everyday use items that we buy in the United States are in fact made in China. And if you're big, uh, you're going to wind up being a uh, a big target of these things. I was talking yesterday to. Um, a friend of mine who uh, works in Europe, and he was talking about the European Commission's system for monitoring the safety uh, and quality of retail products. They have a pretty, uh, pretty good in-store uh, inspection system. And he said, yeah, no question that for the last uh, three or four years, the number one country in terms of the, the source of problems has been China. But do you know what the number two problem country was? Uh, in terms of the number of percentage of products that um, uh, that had to be recalled or, or raised safety questions, it was the United States, because the United States is also a big manufacturer of stuff. Um, so one of the things that we have to keep in perspective is that when you're a large manufacturing company, country, you're going to have a big share of whatever problems arise, uh, and we have to keep in perspective that out of the nearly trillion dollars of exports that came out of China last year, the percentage that have really um, have been involved in uh, quality or, or safety problems is still fairly small. Well, Peter, it seems like um, the one way to solve this problem would be to simply attack the paint manufacturers and say, you know, no more lead in paint, and let's eliminate it at that level, because then it gets eliminated all throughout production. Uh, what do you think about that? I mean, that's a great, that's a great idea. I'm not sure, you know, whether or not you know, those kinds of, you know, rules and regulations, um, you know, can be implemented here just yet. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a, uh, it, it's a learning process. I think the Chinese government has been, you know, is fully aware of the problem, um, and will, you know, probably put together some, some new regulations that will force everybody to, to stop producing lead-tainted lead, lead paint. I mean, that, that, that seems pretty obvious to me. We've reached that point in the program. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few moments to uh, hear more from our guests. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. 
or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's CLECenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit for your continuing legal education. Check out our Lawyer to Lawyer host blogs, J. Craig Williams' blog at mayofpleasetheport.com, likewise Robert Ambrogi's blog at LegalLine.com for daily legal observations, perspective, and, of course, a healthy dose of humor and wit. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi uh, back with us to talk about uh, toy safety and uh, and brand China, as one of our guests said. Our uh, professor Peter Dean, a professor at the School of Design at the Hong Kong Polytechnic University, and a former U.S. toy industry executive, and also Arthur Krober, managing director and head of research at Dragonomics in Beijing. Uh, let me just ask: you know, it, it, it sounds like both of you are. Uh, suggesting at least that that part of the breakdown here has been with with the brand holders themselves uh, government uh, not not uh, not free of blame but the brand holders uh, it seems that there's been uh, 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 some kind of a a failure here is it is it is there a way for for us to uh, to find a compromise between the the need to bring prices down and the need to ensure the safety of products? Uh, is is that an inherent conflict that is always going to raise these kinds of issues, or is there a way around that? I, I think there is there is a you know there is a there is a link. I mean, obviously, the more testing you do, the more expensive or the more you know the costlier it gets, and so that it drives up your 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 um, your overhead um, brings down your margin. So I think there is a direct link. If if you are you know being reasonable and you know you say okay this is what I want done, um, most of the companies nowadays have in-house testing, so they can actually take the product um, still you know warm from the machine and go upstairs and have it tested and make sure that it complies. 
um, before you know they send it out to ex external labs. They know that the product is going to pass because they've done all the internal testing prior to this. You know there is a there is a link between um, you know, the price of the product and um, you know all the all the elements of of, of uh, that go into the production of it. So if you keep driving down the prices, you know, and you look at the price of of, of um, you know, manufacturing the product, which seems to be constantly rising, whether it's, you know, the cost of fuel, whether it's the cost of plastics, whether it's labor costs going up, uh, taxes going up, you know, everything seems to be, you know, preventing you from, from, from being able to produce a, a toy or a product at a cheaper and cheaper um, cost. So to answer your question, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would agree. There's a there's a fundamental uh, conflict there. I mean, I think you can manage that, but you know, it, essentially, what we have now is um, a, a situation that, in some ways, is not unprecedented. If you go back, for example, to the United States in the late 19th, early 20th centuries, um, it had many of the same issues that we're talking about with regard to China today, in terms of lack of consistent standards and dangerous food products and other products getting into the, the market. And essentially what happened was that uh, although partly reforms in uh, manufacturing in the United States were spurred by protests uh, from the Europeans who were taking our exports and complaining about this junk that they were getting, um, I think a lot more of it had to do with the fact that the most of America's production was being consumed domestically. And so as people's incomes rose, um, there was a natural demand for higher quality standards and so forth. And so the citizenry essentially pressured the government to set up agencies like the Food and Drug Administration to, to guarantee the, the quality of products. So the growth of the manufacturing industry went alongside with the growth of a, of a consumer culture that, that, that forced certain kinds of regulation. And one of the problems that we have in a global supply chain situation right now is that you have 21st century consumers with 21st century standards uh, who are buying products that are made under almost 19th century conditions in places like China. And within China, people are so desperate for, for work and just sort of the basics of economic growth um, that they're not, there isn't effective pressure really here yet uh, for the for the level of, of safety and quality standards that we would like to see in the U.S., so you have this this weird situation of you know very advanced country consumers buying goods made under under very different conditions, and I think uh, one thing that would help is perhaps greater coordination of regulatory agencies in in the rich countries and the countries that are supplying the goods, uh, and again that requires more funding in the rich countries. I mean I think the Food and Drug Administration might potentially have some interest in doing some stuff in China, trying to help the Chinese figure out how to improve their regulations. They really just don't have the funds or people to do it. It's, it's impossible. Um, similarly, if you look at it from the Chinese standpoint, I'm, I'm not really quite as convinced as, as Peter is that, that all factories in China are, are doing the best they can. I mean, I think there are a lot of crooks and shysters and, and dodgy uh, dodgy people here doing all kinds of unsavory things, just as there were in the United States in the in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. 
Um, but if you look at it from the standpoint of the government, which is trying to regulate it, there are probably about 400,000 industrial companies in China making all kinds of stuff. Um, in the chemical industry alone, there are at least 15,000 different companies spread all over the, the, the country. So getting back to your earlier suggestion, why don't we just ban lead paint? Um, that's easy to do in rich countries which have a small number of, of companies that you can regulate. But what goes on throughout Chinese industry uh, is they will take processes that have been abandoned in other countries because they're, they're too labor-intensive or they're too dangerous or they involve materials that aren't, aren't used anymore, allowed to be used in, in rich countries. And they'll, they'll start using them in China because under the conditions in China, you can, you can get away with it. And it's just very, very difficult when you have all of these tens, literally tens of thousands of small producers uh, producing all this stuff. It's very, very difficult for the government, even if it wants to, to get a handle on the problem. Well, we've reached that part of our program where we've, uh, we're about to ask you for your final thoughts and your contact information for our listeners to be able to reach you. And as part of this uh, aspect of the program, Peter, if you could talk briefly about what you think uh, is going to be happening to consumers as the holiday season comes up and probably the primary toy buying season. Yeah, no, this is the uh, this is where you know all of the fortunes are made in the toy industry. I think 75% of all the toys are bought in this season, uh, right after um, American Thanksgiving, uh, leading up to you know the day before Christmas. So you know everybody's looking at at this at this you know sort of magical three months or you know six weeks um, as being you know make or break time. So um, I think people are going to be wary of, of, of the type of toys that they're going to buy and whether or not the product has a lot of paint on it or, or um, is highly decorated, and et cetera, et cetera. So I think, I think some companies are going to feel the pinch. Um, you know, I, I don't think it helped Mattel's uh, image at all. Um, you know, I think uh, people are going to have uh, opinion, different opinions about toys. Um, you know, I mean, whether or not in a few years' time that opinion will change and, and return back to normal, uh, we'll see. But um, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a, uh, it's couldn't happen at the worst time um, for for the whole industry as a whole. Arthur, do you think that uh, brand China has taken a big hit as a consequence of this? Um, it's it's taken a hit, no question. But I, I, in terms of of economic impact, I don't think it's going to be significant because the reality is, you know, China is the world's most efficient maker of toys. And, and other consumer products. They have very deep supply chains. It's not like you really have a choice uh, of China or somewhere else, Bangladesh or Vietnam. These, these are just not realistic options. So I think most people are going to go and do their Christmas shopping, and they're going to find that everything's made in China, just like it was last year, and they're going to just go ahead and, and buy it, mostly. Um, you know, what I, what I hope happens out of this is that a little bit more attention is paid uh, both by the Chinese government, which really does need to, to clean up a very disorganized and, and, uh, and, and difficult manufacturing sector and, and begin to put some, some standards on things. But I think also in the United States we have to, to recognize that um, consumer confidence, the ability to walk into a store and know that what you're buying is safe and you don't have to worry about it, this is a fundamental underpinning of a market economy. And there are times when the government has to step in and, and make sure 
um, that people have that confidence. So we need a little bit more faith, I think, in the power of appropriate government regulation to uh, police areas that the market can and, and give consumers more confidence. And Arthur, can you give our listeners your contact information so they can reach you if they have any further questions? Uh, sure. Dragonomics is an economic research company. We're based in Beijing, and we specialized in the Chinese economy. And uh, you can find out all about us on dragonomics.net. Great. And Peter, your contact information? Yeah. My, my email address is sdpeter at polyu.edu.hk. Well, thank you very much to, to both of our guests for taking the time and, and staying up late uh, to be able to join us today. Uh, we appreciate uh, both uh, Professor Peter Dean and uh, Arthur Krober being with us today. A very interesting discussion and a very enlightening one. And Craig, I look forward to talking to you again next week. Very well, Bob. Thanks very much for this week's discussion. I look forward to the next one. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.